Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today the gospel begins with Jesus asking that great question, who do the people say that I am? Now you could say that Jesus is conducting a popular opinion poll. Based upon his preaching and his teaching and all the miracles he's performed, have the people formed an impression about him? Do they know who he really is? Now notice, notice in the gospel, Mark tells us or gives us a clue from the very beginning. It says, Jesus was in the region of Caesarea Philippi. That's Gentile territory. Well, what we have to understand, most of Jesus' ministry was towards the Jews. As Jesus said last week, with the woman who was begging for her daughter to be healed, he says, I've come to gather the lost tribe of Israel. Now, granted, Jesus did minister in Gentile territory, but most of his ministry was in Jewish territory. And so, it's very odd. Why would he ask the apostles what the Gentiles think of him when they've had very little experience or exposure to him? Now, if Jesus truly wanted to know what the people formed an opinion of him, he would have asked that in Jewish territory. After all, he himself is a Jew and he is fulfilling the prophecy. He truly is the Messiah. So, if he truly wanted to know what the people thought of him, he would have asked that amongst the Jews, but he doesn't. So what can we immediately take from this? Well, Jesus doesn't care about what the people think of him. Notice his relationship with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, it's adversarial. They don't like him at all, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think of him. Now notice the apostles, how they respond. They say, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, what's the one common denominator amongst all these answers? Well, they're dead wrong, aren't they? They're not even close to coming to Jesus' identity. And then he turns the table on the apostles. He asks them directly, who do you say that I am? Now realize, the apostles now have been with Jesus for years, day in and day out. They've ate with him, they've drank with him, they've walked with him, they've talked with him. They've listened to all of his preaching and teaching. They've been witnesses to his miracles. If there's any group that truly would know Jesus' identity or should know it, it should be these apostles. But notice the dead silence. That speaks volumes. Even the apostles are unsure of who Jesus really is. But it's only Peter. Peter is the one that speaks up. And he says to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, it begs the question, how has Peter properly formed the correct identity of Jesus? How did he do it? Is Peter the holiest of all the apostles? Hardly. Remember, just a few weeks ago, Peter's walking on the water. His attention gets distracted away from Jesus. He begins to sink. 
Jesus grabs him and says, O ye of little faith. Jesus' greatest hour of need when the soldiers come to arrest him. Does Peter stand by Jesus? No, he abandons him. In fact, he denies even knowing him, not just once, but three times. So, how does Peter come to know Jesus' true identity? Is he the smartest of all the apostles? Hardly. Historians believe Peter was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. That he used to refer to what we would call secretaries to either write letters or read letters to him that were addressed to him. Mark is a great example of it. The author of the Gospel of Mark was a very close companion to Peter, traveled with him on his evangelization missions. In fact, Mark was considered Peter's private secretary. Now, it's so interesting, or you could say coincidental, that Mark wrote his gospel two years after Peter's martyrdom. In fact, it's interesting, Mark was never a witness to Jesus, never met Jesus, never saw Jesus, and yet he's able to write in great detail a gospel about the life of Christ and all of his ministries and miracles. Well, some scholars believe that was because of Peter. Peter told him about all these things, and Mark feverishly wrote them all down in order to create the gospel. And so, again, it begs the question, how did Peter come to the correct identity of who Jesus was? Well, Jesus tells us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit given to him by the Father, Peter now saw Jesus Christ and his true identity as the Son of God. Now, this is very crucial for us to understand. All of our church doctrine, our dogma, all of our rites and our rituals is all based upon Christ. They are not based upon popular opinion polls. If they were, everything that we are taught, everything that we believe as Catholics, we would be dead wrong. Just like those people were dead wrong in guessing Jesus' identity. Now, why is this important for us to understand? Because we live in an age right now, in a culture, in a society, where so many people now, they base their decisions upon popular opinion. They say to themselves, well, if I act this way, how will the people take me? Well, if I speak my mind, how will the people perceive me? How will they judge me? Politicians are a great example of this. Some politicians, not all, but some will make their decisions not based upon what is morally right and wrong, but instead at popular opinion polls. You know, how they will be perceived based upon what they vote or what they say. And in doing so, they don't care about us, their constituents. Instead, they care only about themselves and winning the praise of the opinions of others. But that is not what our church is all about. Instead, all of our doctrine, our dogma, our rites, our rituals, our sacraments are all given to us by Jesus Christ and inspired by the Holy Spirit for us to come to know them in a greater and greater way throughout the centuries. See, that's how we come to know our faith and our church, just like Peter came to know Jesus' true identity. Now, it's interesting. After Peter's great confession, Jesus refers to him, him as Simon, son of Jonah. Now, this is interesting. There's a pretty good chance that Peter's father's name was not Jonah. Why? Because Jonah is a very unusual Hebrew name you know, during Jesus' time. Now, why call him son of Jonah? Well, Jonah in Hebrew means dove. 
Here Jesus is pointing to the relationship between the Holy Spirit and Peter. The same Holy Spirit that confirmed publicly that Jesus was the Son of God as it descended upon him in the form of a dove at Jesus' baptism, well, now has inspired Peter to come to know Jesus' correct identity. That's why he calls him son of Jonah. Well, he's referring to the dove, the Holy Spirit, that has inspired Peter. Notice also what Jesus says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Well, what is flesh and blood? It's our own intellect, our own will. Peter did not reach the conclusion by himself of who Jesus was. He needed God's assistance. Therein lies another temptation for us all. We've probably heard, or what's becoming more and more prevalent amongst people, people will say, you know, I'm a very spiritual person, but I don't need institutional church or the institutional religion to tell me what is morally right and wrong or to tell me how to live my life. I can do that all on my own. Well, wrong. The problem is that we are all finite creatures. We have limitations and weaknesses. There's only so much we can comprehend. We have to realize God doesn't reveal himself according to our terms, how we want and when we want. Instead, yes, God does reveal himself all the time, but he does so when he wants to, according to his timetable, how he wants to. It's a basic biblical theme. God does reveal himself in many different ways to different people. I'll give you some examples. God reveals himself in the form of a burning bush to Moses on Mount Sinai. He reveals himself to Elijah hiding in the cave as a tiny whispering sound. He reveals himself to Samuel who's sleeping in the temple as a call in the middle of the night. He reveals himself to St. Paul as a lightning bolt that knocks him off of his horse on the road to Damascus. God does reveal himself. I would argue sometimes in the least likely ways or when we're so unexpected to receive it. What's the key? To be properly disposed to receive that revelation. Be open, just like Peter was. Keep your heart, your mind, your soul, your will and your intellect always open. When you say to yourself, well, how do I do that? Well, first and foremost, prayer. We have to be people of prayer, praying every day, several times a day. Active sacramental life. We go to Mass every weekend. We engage the sacrament of reconciliation. We study our faith. We practice stewardship, time, talent, and our treasure, giving it away for the benefit of our faith community. Great example of this is the last parish I was at. We became aware of a family that was destitute, had fallen on hard times. The father of the family lost his job. They couldn't make their mortgage payments. They were in danger of being evicted. Well, immediately I asked the St. Vincent de Paul Association or Society to go to them and help them, and they did. And they met with them and they started to turn their lives around. They helped the family. They helped the husband, the father of the family, to find a job and then began to turn their lives around. They began to make their mortgage payments and be able to pay their bills. More importantly, the family then began to attend Mass regularly every Sunday and became active in the life of the faith community there. Now, as I spoke to this family, and I did on a regular basis, the one thing that struck me is they would always tell me that they saw the revelation of Christ in those people from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. 
not just what they did for them, giving them employment and other things, but the fact that they treated them with dignity and respect. Here was a family that felt a sense of hopelessness, and the St. Vincent de Paul people came and they gave them purpose and meaning, a sense of hope. And so, if you talk to that family, even to this day, they will tell you they saw the revelation of Jesus Christ in those Vincentians that came to their aid and their help and turned their lives around. And I think that's exactly what this gospel is all about. What's the key for us all? Stay open. Remember the story of the Magi. Remember what they were doing before they saw the star. Every night, they were going out and analyzing, studying, and searching the skies and the stars. They were being open to the presence of God in this world. Well, we must continue to do that ourselves. You know, in so many ways, Peter, in this story, he represents all of us. There are moments and we have weakness in our faith. There are moments in which we have some doubt in our faith. But there are also those moments in which we see God's revelation in our life or in this world. We see God's presence and immediately, like Peter, we get it. Therefore, we have to follow the example of Peter, turn ourselves over to Christ, and through the power of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit given to us by the Father, Christ, the Son of God, will be revealed to us. So that what? We can grow in a greater love and a greater faith of Him. And that's all that God wants of us. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.